Thank you for listening to the Rivers Church podcast with Pastor Andre and the Rivers team. Be sure to subscribe for a weekly dose of encouragement and inspiration to help your daily life. We pray that this message will help in whatever season of life you might be in. Now, there's something very interesting in the Bible. It's called altars. You see altars mentioned frequently in the Bible. And the Hebrew word for altar is interesting. It means place of slaughter. Isn't that interesting? Because on the altar, you often put a sacrifice. Do you realize that you and I need to place ourselves on a spiritual altar? A place where we die, literally. But it's also a place that when you die, you come to life. Because as you offer yourself to God, the flesh dies and the spirit comes alive because he breathes on us. An altar, if you'd like a definition this morning, is a place of consecration, a place of worship, and uh, we need to have a place of worship, thanksgiving, but I love this, encounter. You can think of an altar as a negative thing, but it's a very powerful thing, and uh, it's very important for us to understand that with everything in the Bible, the natural points to the spiritual. Old Testament natural points to New Testament spiritual. And we need to have altars. It's a place where we meet God, where we surrender, where we worship, and it's where God reveals himself and does something in us as we come to an altar. Uh, Peter Kreeft is a Christian theologian. He's written some 80 books. Very interesting man. And he says, God continuously comes into the world in two places, at the altar and in the womb. The womb is like an altar. It's the place where God continually comes into the world and does what only God can do, create. So in the womb, God creates, but also as you come to the altar in worship, like we did this morning, this, this church, this platform is not a stage, it's an altar. And we come and as we worship, guess what happens? God begins to create creates a new mind, new heart, new thinking. It makes you realize where you've been during the week, how you've behaved, maybe what you said, and maybe where you are personally, privately, and suddenly there's a surrender and he creates in you. It's a beautiful thing. And altars are powerful things. Uh, if, if this is what happens at an altar, then altars are of vital importance in our lives. In a moment, I'll give you the title, but I just want to remind you that the Bible starts out, probably the first altar, and it's not mentioned as an altar, but probably the first altar is where Cain and Abel offered their sacrifices. If you look for pictures of Cain and Abel, you'll always see them offering, not on the ground, on an altar. So it's clear that altars were something from the very, very beginning. And then you find uh, the next altar is when Noah comes out of the ark in Genesis chapter 8 and verse 20. It says that he built an altar, and on it he offered clean animals, and the smell was pleasing, the aroma was pleasing to the Lord. And it's interesting, Paul in Philippians chapter 4 says that when you and I give of our finances, it is an offering like on an altar pleasing to the Lord. You're not giving money into someone's coffers. It's not like like SARS. This is like on the altar. That's why if you can't give, means you can't surrender, you can't encounter, because money giving is much more than that. And so you're giving, you've just been at the altar with the offering. Do you realize that? And as we go on, Moses built an altar after defeating the Amalekites in Exodus chapter 17. The tabernacle had a brazen altar, 
where they offered a sacrifice as they came in and a lamb or a bull was put on there and then you could go beyond that to what was called the altar of incense and incense was burned on there in the morning and the evening and it ascended like our giving as a fragrant smell before the Lord all the time. Your worship is your incense and I want to ask you, do you have a place at home, not just in church, where you worship? Because we need to be offering incense in the morning and in the evening, not just in services once every three weeks. If altars are important, we can't afford for them to be sporadic or when we feel like it, they've got to be built in our lives. Zechariah is interesting. Him and his wife were old and they were offering in Luke's gospel uh, off, uh, um, uh, on the altar of incense. He was on duty and he was offering incense before the Lord. That's when the angel appeared and said, you're going to have a child called John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus. Listen, when we worship at the altar, that's when God can give us the desires of our heart. Altars are powerful. And I want to encourage you to establish altars in your life. The church is a kind of altar, and I want to speak to you today. I think I spoke on this a number of years ago, but the Lord gave it to me afresh as I've been reading in Genesis again. And Genesis chapter 12, we read about Abraham, and he did something. Seven altars marked his life. And I want to speak to you today about building altars, pitching tents. Not building tents and pitching altars. Because you can end up making the temporary more important than the permanent. And we will one day all worship at the throne, which is an altar. We should be building that now, not waiting till then. And Abraham's life is marked by building altars and pitching tents. And altars, let me remind you, they speak of sacrifice. They speak of devotion. They speak of worship. You can say, oh, I'm weary. But they speak of encounter. Because when you go to the altar, it's not, you don't just empty yourself out and walk away empty. You walk away full. How many of you know that when you come to church and you sing and you listen to the word and you make notes, you don't go home drained? Jesus, I think I need to skip for another three weeks because that was hectic. No, you, you know what you tell yourself usually? I guarantee you, you tell yourself, I need to do this more often. Because you see the benefit. So let's read from Genesis chapter 12 and verse 6. It says, Abraham traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moray at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring, I will give this land, the land of the Negev. So he built an altar. Notice he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent, built his altar, pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. Notice again, there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abraham set out and continued towards the Negev. Chapter 13, verse 3, from the Negev he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier. And there we had first built an altar. The Bible is very specific. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. So Abram went to live near the great trees of Marma at Hebron, where he pitched his tents. There he built an altar to the Lord. Wherever Abraham went, altars were left behind, not tents. 
We've got to be careful that we don't spend too much time building the temporal and too little time uh, building the permanent. Abram understood the difference between the two. And you need to have a home, you need to have a car, you need to have furniture and clothing. We need to live in good places and enjoy the prosperity of God. But let's not make that the center of our lives. Let's make our worship and our devotion to Him central. Let's make church the altar where we come regularly and we build it like the partners are doing today. They're building a place where they can worship and serve God. They are erecting an altar. What do altars signify? I've got six things today that I want us to look at, and we can learn from these altars the spiritual principles. I've already mentioned it. Number one, Abraham understood what was permanent and what was temporary. We often spend our lives building what is temporary instead of what is permanent. Isn't that true? And our eternal spiritual lives are where we're going to spend time with God. Some of you are going to struggle at the throne. Because there's going to be a lot of singing. And you're going to be like, I've never been into this. Worship's never been my bag. No, you've got to get used to it because that's what we're going to do for all eternity. We're going to be giving glory and praise to the King of kings and Lord of lords. We're going to be worshiping at the throne of grace. And we need to get used to the permanent and not live building the temporary. By all means, get a home. In fact, if you don't own a home, I encourage you to make it your goal. To save up and buy a permanent piece of property. It's an asset. You can pass it on to your children. If you're, you're rooted in this country. If you believe in this country, buy property. Stretch yourself. Don't just buy temporary stuff like cars that rust. You need transport. But get, get your priorities right. But make sure you're building altars. You're building altars and pitching tents. Not pitching altars and building tents. Abraham understood the difference between the two. God's material blessings in the life of Abraham never distracted him from his altars. Don't let that which God gives you keep you from the altar. He's given you an, a holiday house. He's given you a lovely four by four. But now every weekend, instead of being at the altar worshiping, you're driving out in the country. Oh, I, my altar is archer, Jelich. All the golf players tell us that here. And when I'm out there, Pastor, and I feel the Lord. No, no, the devil's there too, making your swing skew. That's why your balls are in the water. You need to serve the Lord. And enjoy your golf, but let's not replace the permanent with the temporary. Let's enjoy the temporary. Number two, small altars make big altars easier. Small altars make big altars easier. You will never be able to give in miracle offering unless you can give a couple of rand each week. Unless you're tithing, suddenly in November, you're not going to come up with a huge amount of money. No, no, it's, this has got to be constantly released. And when you get used to offerings and coming to the altar in worship, you know what you discover? Whatever I lay down, I get back. Whatever I give, I receive. There's a very interesting verse in Mark chapter 4, and verse 24, it says, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Then it says this, whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away. So if you don't start small giving, what you, what you, your spiritual life, if you can't sing and worship and come to church, you'll start to receive less and less. Yeah, you know, the last time I went, the message wasn't for me. 
Well, that attitude, guess, guess what? The next time you come, it's going to be even less. It's going to be even less. Because even what you don't have will be taken away. In fact, Jeremiah in the Old Testament put it like this. And, and we're talking about small altars make big altars uh, uh, easier. Jeremiah 12 and verse 5, if you have raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses? If you stumble in safe country, how will you manage in the thickets by the Jordan, in the forests? In other words, if you're not even tithing, don't expect to, to, to receive super blessings and be able to give it miracle offering. If you're not even attending church, how can you expect to yield your life to Christ? Chances are, your spiritual life will be weaned away from you until nothing is left. We've got to come weekly, give, serve, yield. You know, I can easily give one offering. We, we tithe, you know, like most of you probably do, uh, banking, general banking. You go there, da, 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 DSTV, all the other stuff there. Thank God there's no cars there, no West Bank. Yes. Um, currently, uh, I have to resist temptation. But here's the thing. You go there, you click Rivers Church, you put in the amount like you do every month, you tithe. It's a simple thing to do. But offerings, some people are like, I don't want to bother. No, you need to bother because you know what? It's like an altar. And those small altars keep your heart open. Then when it comes to miracle offerings, it's not a big issue because it's... See, that's why Abraham, he pitched his tent, but he built his altars when God said to him, hey, I want your son. No problem. Because every time he had built an altar, God met him, God spoke to him, God promised him something. When it came to his son, it was like, no problem. Early next morning. And some of us read that, we're like, this is a weird God. No, no. Abraham knew it's a place of encounter, a place of sacrifice, but a place of encounter. Because each time I come, I've learned that in the small, he speaks. When it comes to the big, he will definitely speak. Isn't that true? We read you, and I read it to you, Genesis 22 and verse 9. God asked for Isaac. The Bible says, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. He knew what was transitory. He knew what was permanent. He knew that if he gave to God, God will always come through. And you need to have small altars built in your life because they will test you. They will test you to see whether your dreams come first or whether God comes first. Whether your family comes first or whether God comes first. Whether your pleasure on a Sunday comes first or whether God comes first. And the Lord will test us. Our altars are about connecting with Him. Number three. Is this helping you inspire? I hope it inspires you as it has inspired me afresh. When we build altars, our kids will also build altars. Don't only think about yourself as a parent. Think about your children. What we are modeling is extremely important for the next generation. And it's not just, life is not just about pleasure and money and fame and self-interest. Your children will watch you and imitate you. And if you are infrequent at church, they will be even less frequent. You know what they say? What one generation tolerates, the next generation will celebrate. So if you are really potting away at home and you have the liberty of Jesus and we're not under law, but we're under grace, guess what they're going to do? No, no, we, we, we don't believe the Bible teaches abstinence, but it teaches self-control. Teach yourself, and I want to say this, in South Africa, we have a massive drinking problem, especially amongst the poor. They spend all their money on the weekend because there's a sense of hopelessness, and they sit around on the streets drinking. So I'm very careful about what I say. But we're not against celebration. 
We're not against self-control, but be careful what you celebrate because the next generation, sorry, what you tolerate, the next generation will celebrate. Yeah, no, we don't, you know, we, we, you know, we're under grace. We don't have to go to church all the time. It's not about attending church, my boy. No, 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 they, they, need, they need to see your altar so that you build it into them and their altars will follow. You see, Abraham's sons tells us in Genesis 26 that Isaac built an altar. Didn't pitch an altar. He built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. There he pitched his tent. Isn't the Bible very specific? I don't think it's accidental. It's telling us specifically. And then it says, and there his servants dug a well. His priority was God first, then my family, and then my business. Are you with me? Altar. Then tent for the home, then the well business. Be careful you're not spending all your time building the well. And then you pitch the altar. We must build altars and pitch our tents. And our children will do the same. Isaac understood altars. You know why? Because he was put on one. Genesis 22. He saw his father always building altars, always doing something. Then the Lord says, give me Isaac. Uh, Abraham says, yeah, done the small ones. Yeah, this is the big one. The boy wasn't, he wasn't five. Dad, what are you doing? He was 16. It's like, Jay, what's going on here? No, he understood. That's why in his own life he builds altars. And he doesn't, he doesn't pitch his altars. He builds his altars and he pitches his tents. I have to say this this morning because you're sitting right in front of me. Nick, Trish, uh, Jordan, and Danica, you are right here in front of me and always serving the Lord. Now, I know what it's like to go through teenage years, but you've always built your altars, even through hardship, even through difficulty, and we've all been through difficulty in the times when you stay home from church and there's challenges, but you've pressed on, pressed on. Here you are right in front. Uh, Trish used to be a pastor on our staff. There, she's worked for um, Jesus Alive Ministries, sorry. And, but here they've pressed on and their children are in the front row. They could stay home. You're old enough to stay home. But you here. See, they built altars. They didn't pitch altars. They built altars. Their children are building altars now too. Sitting here today, listening to the word, and not sitting at home where they could easily be. They're old enough to stay home and choose their own course. Number four. Are you still with me? Altars are always a response to revelation. In Genesis 12, the Bible says that Abraham was told by God, God revealed to him, I'm going to give you the land of the Negev. And as a result of that, we read, Abraham built an altar and worshiped the Lord. It is very difficult to worship God and to honor God unless you have revelation of him. Information won't do it. It's when you, get, when you discover who God is and how good He is and what He's got for you in your life, that's when you will keep building altars because you recognize that when you build an altar, God reveals more of Himself. I love worshiping in the services. You, you, very seldom, and I just want to, be, want to warn you here, very seldom will you find us not in the worship part of the second service unless we've been outside and are exhausted, shaking hands, walking around, and, uh, and, and we just can't. We've done it once or twice. We've had to sit upstairs and just recuperate because it's been quite exhausting. But I want to be in the next meeting. I didn't worship already. I love the altar because at the altar I get revelation. It's the same set of songs. 
but something fresh happens in me. And I love altars. I love worship at home. I love reading my Bible at home. I don't just read my Bible for sermons. What can you give me for them, Lord? Mm. Been there, preached that, done that. Mm. 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 Now I just read. And I just worship and I thank God. And then something comes up. Bam! This morning I was reading in my quiet time in Mark's gospel. A house divided us against itself cannot stand. Like spoke to me like, I've got revelation about our own marriage and family, about Rivers Church. Can't be divided. Some can't agree with the gates being locked and others are not sure. Some agree with membership and some don't. Some give and others don't. House divided against itself cannot stand. Not might not stand. We'll be shaky. Anyway, that's a sermon for another time. But what I'm trying to teach you is when you go to an altar, you don't just read. You go there to pray. Even though I had a message to preach, that was not the time. Six o'clock this morning, there was the time to go to the altar. I have to discipline myself. Otherwise, I can become a conveyor of information. And I've preached on this topic years ago. I'm not preaching on it because I, mm, I think they won't remember. No, it has come from the altar. And that's why I know when I give it, something will happen. Altars are always a response to revelation. Genesis 35. Let me show you here. Abraham's uh, son Jacob. Uh, sorry. Uh, uh, yeah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Uh, so Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. They then come, let us go to Bethel, where I will build an altar to the Lord. Watch this. Who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. Do you remember Jacob put his head on a stone and, and had a revelation? Do you remember that? Saw a staircase or a ladder going up and down. And he said, surely was, the Lord was in this place and I didn't know. Read it. It then says he built an altar. And he kept building altars after that because he recognized when I build an altar, God speaks. God gives me a revelation. He reveals himself. He points to my future. And he shows me what is up ahead. And uh, you, you, know what, you know what we do when we come to church? We come with a gratitude, which is like a, coming to the altar with thanksgiving. That's what Jacob did. And then we get more revelation from the Lord. I love what uh, Bob Jones, Sr., he's an old U.S. American evangelist and one of the great preachers of the past. He said this, when gratitude dies on the altar of a man's heart, that man is well nigh hopeless. Because once it's dead in here, you can do all sorts of religious stuff. In fact, you can come to a proper altar with candles. And the, the man up front can wear all sorts of stuff. And have a staff and a pointy hat and everything. There's no revelation. Because the altar is more than dress. And I'm not against that if that's their culture. We prefer t-shirt and jeans. But it's about revelation. And when you get revelation, that's when you build altars. Let me move on. Number five. Is this helping you? Here's the most important thing today. We must rebuild our broken and neglected altars. What is your altar like in your life? Your daily quiet time, your church attendance? If it's broken down, you need to rebuild it. COVID broke it down, caused it to be neglected. And we need to rebuild because when we do, that's when God manifests His power. Now, you'll all remember in Scripture, let me remind you, that the altars of the Lord were broken down in the book of 1 Kings. Do you remember that? And the people neglected the Lord. 
They served him in memory only, in concept only. And when Elijah wanted them to come back to the Lord, he rebuilt the altar. And after he rebuilt the altar, guess what happened? God showed up. Isn't that true? And we read in 1 Kings 18 verse 30, Then Elijah said to the people, Come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. I want to ask you, is there an altar in your life that needs repairing? And then he put the wood on it, put the bull on it, poured water on it in a time of drought. It was a real sacrifice. And then he prays to the Lord, and we pick it up in verse 37. Answer me, Lord, answer me so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Verse 38 says, then, because of what happened, the repairing and the sacrifice, then the fire of the Lord fell and burnt up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. I want you to think about this for a moment. There is a national crisis in the land, and here the prophet of God starts by arranging stones. Doesn't pick up the scroll and read it. He starts arranging stones. You're looking for something magnificent after COVID. I think it might be arranging stones. Putting the altar back together is the first step to revelation, to God's fire falling on your life. Maybe it's just the coming every Sunday. No matter who's preaching, relentlessly coming, I'm going to come with gratitude. I'm not going to build my well. I'm first going to build my altar. And then I'm going to trust God for the well to flow. And as I do and I arrange the stones, it's very tedious and simple, but fire will fall on my heart and on my life and on my family. And we need to recognize that there's a time for rebuilding. God wants us not to build our tents. He wants us to build our altars and pitch our tents because our tents one day these physical tents, our bodies will no longer be here. And some people, I see Ronnie in the front row, one of our under-shepherds and connect group leaders, you were close to death just the other day. Your life could have gone from the, per, from the temporary to the permanent like that. Shocked us. It shocked you. Isn't that true, this? It shocked you. That's where we live. And some of you young people, but he's old. No, no, no. You could have a car accident. The, 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 the permanent is right here. But yet we make such a big thing of the temporary. Like we'll have another chance. No, no. We have, we, we've gone from death to life. We've gone from being ordinary people to being born again people. We must now focus on the permanent, not the temporary. We've got to be people who understand the difference between the two and rebuild our lives. You know, if you build an altar infrequently, you know what you'll have? Shallow, shallow revelation and weak encounters. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, he said the tendency of fire is to go out. Watch the fire on the altar of your heart. Anyone who has tended a fireplace knows that it needs to be stirred up occasionally. We must build an altar in our hearts. And can I say, online is not an altar. It's an observation. The percentage of people that online have an encounter with God is very tiny. The minute you come back into the presence of a corporate anointing, you find amazing things happen. Unexpected things happen. You're standing there and it's suddenly God is speaking and you're like, what? It's incredible. 
And the devil knows that. That's why it brought fear, so that we wouldn't come back. We wouldn't stand next to people. J.D. Greer, the American pastor and author, said this. He said, God, ca God calls us first, not to a platform, but to an altar. Don't think of us as a stage where people perform and a motivational speaker gets up and preaches. See it as an altar where we all together lay our lives down in worship for him. Can you say amen? You see, we spoke about partners this morning. We referred to Psalm 92, but I want to quickly under this point, and I won't be very much longer. He talks here about the, the place that the presence of God in the church is in Psalm 84. And uh, he says, how lovely is your dwelling place. Notice it's a dwelling place. It's not a temporary place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, a dwelling place, where, uh, and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have a young, a place near your altar, not your platform. If you see this as an altar, you will rebuild it. It's the place of worship, the place of giving, the place of instruction, and the place of devotion, and the place of revelation. Number six. I trust that this has inspired you somewhat this morning. The cross of Christ was an altar that we must always come to. Do you know that Jesus built his altar and pitched his tent? Have you ever thought about that? Jesus didn't spend his life like most religious leaders do, building up a profile, writing books, preparing for a home one day in the wilderness where he could consult run pastors' conferences for the rabbis. Converted Pharisees could come year after year. Ends up with a long beard, you know. You don't see pictures of Jesus with a long beard, long gray hair, wrinkled eyes like me. No, 33 and he was gone. Why? Because he built his altar and pitched his tent. He always knew that is where I'm going. That is going to be the place of encounter. That's going to be the place of transformation. That's going to be the place of revelation. God is going to be revealed to the world. And so he kept going to his altar. And on the cross, Jesus offered himself up. St. Francis of Assisi said this. He said, the Father willed that his blessed and glorious Son, whom he gave to us and who was born for us, should through his own blood offer himself as a sacrificial victim on the altar of the cross. This was to be done not for himself, through whom all things were made, but for our sins. If Jesus built his altar, surely we should follow suit. And surely we should come to that cross like we do at communion in a couple of minutes and worship too. Lord, we recognize you put yourself on the altar for us. Today we put ourselves on the altar for you. And we worship you as your church. We love you. We serve you. We give you praise. Because you placed yourself on the altar. We do it willingly in response. A.W. Tozer said this, The only cross in history that was turned into an altar was the cross on which Jesus Christ died. It was a Roman cross. They nailed him on it. And God, in his majesty and mystery, turned it into an altar. Gosh, isn't that amazing? And now, church, as I, as I wrap up here today, I don't want you to miss this, because in a moment we're going to sing, and we're going to partake of our emblems together and worship Jesus. 
Do you know that Jesus died on the cross, laid himself on the altar, and here's the weird thing. He has now been resurrected, and John in Revelation looks up and sees him, the lamb that was slain, Jesus Christ, the crucified, at the throne, and then he talks about people worshiping. But I want to read it to you because then we're going to pray, or then we're going to sing. Are you good? Bit of scripture today, but I don't think it's a bad thing. We need to base everything on Scripture. Revelation 5 and verse 6, I want you to see where we stand today. It says, Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. But he doesn't stop there. As John writes on in chapter 8. He says, Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer. Watch this with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of where? The throne. So Jesus is at the throne. There's an altar at the throne. And the prayers and the worship of God's people is being sent up to the throne. But watch what happens. It says, The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hands. But I love this word. Like It's like Kaizen this morning. Use the word yet. It's then, then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar and hurled it to the earth and there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashing of lightning and an earthquake. When we worship and we honor Jesus who went to the altar, at the altar, stuff happens on the earth in our lives. God begins to work. And I'll tell you what, for some of you, you think nothing's happening right now. If you worship here today and put Jesus first, there will be rumblings, there'll be flashes of lightning, there'll be peals. God will be moving because when you come to an altar, He always responds with revelation. That's how God works. It's the place where He creates. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message. 